Good morning. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Great to have you with us. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more and find your plan at Delta Dental Covers Me. Dot com And uh, joining me in studio this morning is a man who uh, uh, was chatting just the other day with the president and CEO of uh, Northeast Delta Dental, Tom Raffio, <laughs> and that would be Mike Moffat. Mike, good morning. Great to have you with us. Great to be here, Ken. Yeah, we saw Tom Raffio at the Angels 5K. Tom and I are longtime uh, rivals on the 5K <laughs> circuit. Uh, our times aren't what they used to be, but we're still out there. Well, well, you know what? It's just been in recent months that uh, my good friend uh, Kitty Ray and I uh, have been starting to do the 5Ks. I've but, seen you there, yes. But we're walking them. We're walking the 5Ks for the most part. Although, I will say, with each passing 5K, uh, both of us have incrementally been able to take time off our best mark, you know, our, our personal best, as it were. Because we're, we're like walking and then we're running a little bit, walking then running a little bit. Once you set those higher standards, you want to keep, you want to make them. That's so. right. That's right. Well, Mike Moffat is with us. And for those who uh, don't know, uh, retired lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. Is that true? That's, uh, that's that, fact. That's true. That's a fact. Uh, also a uh, state representative and uh, a graduate of uh, Groveton High School. The Purple Eagles, the home of the Purple, Purple Eagles. Eagles. And uh, he, he recently had a reunion that I that I heard about, and I, I won't tell you though what reunion it was, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a fun time anyway, and uh, and it was great. And and Mike is also, as uh, I'm sure many of you know, a, a weekly columnist for the Weir's Times. Now, what's what's coming out this week, Mike? Well, I finally wrote about baseball and the Red Sox. It'll be out this week. Uh, the, Sports columnists can't go wrong to write about the Red Sox. I write about all kinds of things, you do. as you know. You do. So I'm finally writing about the Red Sox this week, and then uh, next week I'm going to write about Indianapolis, of all things. Uh, Indianapolis. And, and why is that, Mike? Well, I was at a legislative conference in Indianapolis. Uh, I've been to a number of those. I love going to these uh, national legislative conferences. I, I, I guess so. When you're surrounded by cheerleaders, you know. Well, that, well, that we uh, Lucas Stadium uh, yeah. was right next to the conference sta- uh, conference site. That's where the uh, Colts play, yep. and they had a an event, an evening social on, on the field. Uh, at the very field that once the the Super Bowl was once played on. All right. And uh, all, we had chances to kick field goals and, and shoot baskets yeah. even. And, yeah. uh, and there were uh, refreshments and libations and food, and it was wonderful. And, and yes, the, the Pacer, the Indiana Pacer cheerleaders. Oh, oh they were the Pacers cheerleaders. They're known, uh, as, the, they're known as the Pacemates. Uh, the Pacemates. Pa- Pacer mates. Uh, oh, uh, oh, the Pacemakers, maybe. They, they, maybe, they, maybe you'll need one after, <laughs> after seeing them. Yeah. So a lot of us <laughs> did pose for uh, photos with the uh, Pacer mates. And uh, that was fun, a lot, lot of fun. And it's great to, to meet legislators from around the country. You right. learn stuff, uh, always learn things. Uh, I had several ideas for possible, uh, you know, legislation that, that, that yeah. I brought back. And, and uh, uh, a great time was had by all. Yep. Yeah. And uh, when does the next session start, legislative session? 
The next legislative session, uh, full session, will be like uh, January 3rd or or 4th, one of those days, for veto day. That'll be uh, the usually veto day is in the fall, but yep. this time, uh, as was the case last time, uh, it's been pushed back to the beginning of the following year. So uh, before then, there's uh, commissions and committees. Uh, I chair the House Committee on State, Federal Relations, and Veterans Affairs, and our committee retained one bill, which we have to come back to this fall. Actually, we're going to meet on that one bill on October 11th. It's a measure, a proposed bill, that would preclude the New Hampshire National Guard from being deployed short of a declaration of war. So uh, a lot of veterans uh, on both sides of that testified, so we retained it to spend some more time on it. We're going to have more testimony, and then we'll vote on it uh, in my committee on October 11th, and then that'll finish up my committee's work. But there are other committees and other retained bills that will be voted on in committee executive sessions this fall, and then that will bring us to uh, January. Yeah, very true, and it will be here before you know it, as will the uh, first in the nation primary. Uh, which we still intend to have here in the state of New Hampshire, despite the uh, wishes of the Democratic Party. Republicans are good to go. They always yes. have been. It's yep. uh, it's the Democrat side that uh, largely, I think, because of President Joe Biden, uh, they, he had a terrible experience in New Hampshire, finished fifth, left yeah. during the day, yeah. uh, and South Carolina uh, came through for him. So uh, that's politics. Uh, to the detriment of New Hampshire. But the Republicans have always been fine, and our primary will uh, will go. When is it going to be? Uh, it's interesting, uh, Ken, because the Secretary of State, Dave Scanlon, has been looking at what Iowa's doing. Now, as you know, the law is that we have to have the first primary ahead of any other like election. Mm-hmm. Now, the caucuses are different, but now the caucuses, they're talking about in Iowa having, like, mail-in voting. Right. I've, I've heard that, yeah. So yeah. that suddenly changes things. It's no, it's it's an election uh, as opposed to a caucus. And so our law would require us to go before Iowa if Iowa does, uh, you know, change from their ca- current caucus format. So right. Yeah, uh, that's something to keep an eye on. So, so is that something that they can do? I mean, is it totally up to them, the state of, you know— the powers that be in the state of Iowa to declare it an election rather than a caucus? Well, I think they'll still call it the caucuses, and, but the way the caucuses work, it's it's interesting and a little unwieldy. And if you remember uh, four years ago, they had terrible problems reporting the results. Yeah. Uh, so do, people do, have to do, show- we, do we know yet who won that <laughs> Iowa caucus? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think it, was, it, might, it, have been, was it might, might have been Buttigieg, wasn't it? Yeah, he did well. Biden finished fourth there yeah, and then came yeah. here and finished fifth. Thought he was uh, a goner, but uh, shows. So in a caucus, people have to show up in person. They have to stand in rooms and then move yeah. around. And it's, it's uh, well, you're laughing. It's crazy. But, uh, I know. I, yeah. But it's. Uh, it's Dan Felt has tried to explain it to me once. And, well, a, a native Iowan. But, uh, right. Yeah. Uh, I guess he's gone back there. And, and yeah. uh, it's it's interesting. It's different. Uh and in 1972-76, they started doing these caucuses. Jimmy Carter won in 76, and that uh, set him on his way. So Iowa, New Hampshire. But but if they uh, if the Iowans in the Hawkeye State decide to allow ballots, uh, then I think uh, Dave Scanlon would and should, because it's our law, move ours up ahead of Iowa. So that would we would truly be first in the nation again. 
So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it could be December by the time it's all said and done. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I uh, sometimes I'm out of state in December. I'll have to make sure I'll get I'm that ba- absentee ballot, Mike. Ah, there we go. That, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and New Hampshire, what their law? Every state, every state laws is different. The laws of of voting, and and some have uh, you know uh, a long period of time. Uh, in which you can vote, you know, like weeks in advance, you can vote in some states. Yeah. And in other states, uh, you know, you can only vote on the day of unless you have uh, an absentee ballot. And, and don't you think those, those laws uh, should be uh, the same for every state? I mean, especially in a, in a federal uh, election, if for nothing else, but especially in a federal election, I think those laws should be standardized around the country. I, I really do. Well, that's interesting. Speaking of federalism, I mean, that allows the states to do their own things, and every yeah. state is different. Yeah. Uh, well, that's what brings us to the to the drama with, uh, with Donald Trump, former President Trump, with uh, election results. And, and I am concerned, uh, always have been, many of us have been about election integrity uh, all over the place, and certainly yeah. lights have been shined. And I think Following the last presidential election, sure, there were a good number of irregularities, but I don't think that the outcome was fundamentally uh, changed by these irregularities as they were uh, identified. And I think uh, that Donald Trump uh, should have obviously eventually uh, you know, acknowledged that he lost by 7 million votes and, uh, and it was not stolen. But uh, that that uh, conversation is still but, ongoing. But I, I think there will always be, because he's certainly not the first president to challenge the results of, of an election. Certainly not the first. Well, uh, 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 go ahead, Ken. Uh, yeah, sure. but, I mean, maybe it's, it's, uh, it's more publicized, but, uh, you know, uh, Al Gore, Hillary Clinton, among others, have, and, and probably back uh, long before that, elections have been challenged. You know. Yeah, we'll come back. I get one comment on 1960, which you 1960, remember. 1960, I and, uh, do. I do. I was not happy in 1960 because <laughs> I was a Nixon guy. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll take a break. Mike Moffat is in studio with us, and uh, we're talking a little politics on this Tuesday morning. Great to have you with us. Kale & Company Live presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Stay with us. Company live here on this Tuesday. State Representative, the Honorable Michael Moffat, in studio with us. We've been talking a little uh, politics on this uh, Tuesday morning. Of course, the uh, first Republican primary presidential debate coming up tomorrow night uh, in Milwaukee. Your good friend uh, Tim Lang is out there observing. Yeah, uh, my good friend Tim, uh, Senator, Senator Lang. Lang, I should call him. One of the yeah. fellow founders of the Legislative Beer Caucus. Yes. And uh, Tim and a couple other, there are some New Hampshire people who will be there. Senator Lang uh, somehow uh, was invited out to that event, and uh, he'll give us a full report, uh, hopefully with, with some photos from th- that uh, exciting event, exciting for us. Uh, you know, we'll, not, not everybody in the country is going to tune into this, but uh, we will for sure. 
You know, and of course, uh, the, the big news out of that is that uh, Donald Trump will not be there. Uh, at least we don't think so, but uh, probably not. He's already taped uh, an hour, I believe it is, with uh, Tucker Carlson that's going to be running on uh, X. We used to call it Twitter. Back in the old days, Mike, remember we used to call it Twitter? Yep, back uh, now, <laughs> Elon Musk has changed the world. And now it's X. X. It's easy to remember. Now. I guess. X marks the spot. But uh, it, it, Trump will be talking with Tucker, or already has. It's it's already been recorded. But uh, the debate's going to be interesting, though. Uh, as, a, as a Republican, like uh, we both are, uh, would you prefer to see Trump on stage or not? Sure, I would prefer to see him on stage. Uh, it's uh, it's bad, I think, that he's not. People want to see everybody engaged and uh, taking questions and interacting, and and to to miss that, I think, uh, is troubling. And I I think you know in in not doing it, he also leaves the. Uh, the door open for someone to really emerge uh, tomorrow night to take over the stage, and and uh, you know they'll they'll le- at least have a lot more opportunity, all of them, to talk. Now the Trump has decided not to show up. Sure, that leaves some time for the rest of the candidates yeah, right. to, uh, to to split up, divvy up. Sure, yeah. yeah. So now y- you've met. Several of the candidates, if not all of the the candidates that will be on stage. Uh, any any thoughts going into tomorrow night as to what's going to happen? Well, I'm excited. I'm in- interested to see who uh, says what and who the pundits declare as a winner or who makes a big mistake, so to speak. Uh, I have met most of the uh, candidates. It's a wonderful thing about New Hampshire, especially being a legislator in New Hampshire. I do not know who I'm going to vote for. It's no secret in our circles that I'm, I'm not a big fan of the former president for a lot of reasons. But I do not know for whom I will vote, but I will be watching and with great interest. And uh, we will see who says what and how they say it. Yeah. And I tell you what, uh, I, I think and I don't think we're being prejudiced about this because of our party affiliation. But I think the Republicans, uh, you know, and you'll see it tomorrow night if you don't know by now uh, uh, that the Republicans have a very deep bench. There are a lot of very good candidates. I agree. I think there's some very exciting uh, new faces. I think we need some new faces who all have done some really cool things. And uh, we'll see uh, who can separate themselves. Uh, uh, Governor Sununu had an op-ed in yesterday's New York Times about the need to winnow the field. He's not a fan of President Trump, former President Trump. And uh, Trump's always going to have that 25 30%. And uh, I think most Republicans do not want him, but he's got that 30 percent. And as long as there's a big field, he's going to prevail. So that's the point that Chris Sununu has made is that we need to winnow and narrow down the field. Uh, Be very interesting come December, whenever he uh, endorses somebody, that'll be huge. And also your endorsement, Ken, when you finally decide, that will will move the needle. That will certainly move somebody's (laughs) needle anyway. Uh, But the funny, funny part of it is, I mean, Biden obviously has a big lead in the, the, the you know the Democratic field uh, because he's well, I know Robert F. Kennedy is out there and Marianne Williamson, but uh, they're pretty much also Rance Trump has a big lead uh, in the Republican race, so over DeSantis and others. Uh, but the funny part of it is, Mike, that uh, I, I don't think if you ask most Republicans like you or me 
or any legislator on the Republican side or any just individual to comment on it, that they would not want Donald Trump as the candidate in 2024. And most Democrats, if you ask them, probably wouldn't want Joe Biden as the candidate. That's true. According, yeah. <laughs> according to the polls, most Democrats don't want Biden. Most Republicans don't, <laughs> don't want Trump. So we'll probably end up with a rematch from 2020. Heaven help us. Yeah. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But You don't? It, yeah. I, I don't. I, I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't. But I don't know. I mean, how do you uh, how are you going to avoid it? Well, but we'll see what happens. Uh, and both those those guys, uh, current president, former president, they're 80, 80-ish years of age. Yeah. Me- remember when Reagan was way too old to run? Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. He, was, he was 68. Yeah, and so. he was younger than both of them, for sure. Way, yeah. way younger, way yeah. Younger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I think by the time he uh, served his two terms, he, he was still younger than either <laughs> yeah. Trump or, or, and or Biden. Yeah, yeah. True, true. Yeah. And now we have two two gentlemen in their uh, you know seventies uh, and close to closer to eighty than seventy, uh, running for president of the United States, and uh, you know uh, I don't know it, it just uh, I, I know there are many Republicans out there who would much rather see any one of the candidates on stage tomorrow night uh, representing the Republican Party, uh, you know, other than Donald Trump, a- any of them. Well, and I'm one of those folks, Ken. I've been pretty uh, public about that. I don't know for whom I'll vote, but I do think we need a fresh face. Uh, I think so. On, on both sides of the aisle, really. I am, But I don't see it happening uh, on the Democratic side, for sure, unless something happens between now and then. Uh, you know, people have talked about a, a third-party candidacy. Uh, and, uh, you know, everybody always says they throw up their hands and say this will never work. But you know what? I think this is one time around where it could possibly work. Yeah. The, well, if it's Trump versus Biden again, I think that would provide some energy to people looking for an alternative. The system in America is so set up, though, to support a two-party system. My sister-in-law, who lives in uh, Concord, is from Denmark, and she and I she talks about the parliamentary systems and all the parties they have in these other countries, but they end up putting together coalitions. And, and our system is just so built on a two-party system. Yeah. Uh, Ross Perot, you know, got a lot of votes back in 92, but didn't win a single state. And uh, it's just so hard for a third party to get on every ballot and then to overcome the systemic yeah. uh, bias in favor of the two-party system. But I, I think, uh, you know, a third-party candidate can really muck things up, you know? <laughs> I mean, they, they, you know, if you had a, you know, like, I guess they, they've talked about uh, perhaps Joe Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia who has uh, voted a number of times with Republicans on, on different issues. He's been, he's been floated uh, out there and, uh, and others as well as a possible third-party candidate. I'll tell you what, if, I don't care what party she, she would run for. If Tulsi Gabbard ran for president. She has my vote. I'm a fan of hers, too. I, as you know, I've met her a couple of times, and uh, I think she's very sensible. I didn't like her positions when she was in, running for the presidency in the Democrats. I, a lot of her positions I just couldn't support, but I thought she was somebody who was not a wacko. She was, you know, reasonable and, and uh, articulate, and and uh, I, she's, I guess she's an independent now. Uh, but... Uh, 
Real quick, you mentioned uh, messing things up. Uh, Twenty uh, or two thousand in Florida. Uh, Ralph Nader got all, all these votes, uh, and Bush only George W. Bush only won Florida by like five hundred votes. So Nader took, you know, took that state, those state electoral votes away from Gore, and Gore uh, w- would have been president if not for that third party mm-hmm. dynamic. And Ross Pro in '92, I think, hurt the Republicans more than he did the Democrats. So yeah, third party, fourth party. Yep. <laughs> there are there are the parties out there. Party animals. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Mike Moffat is here, but for a limited time only. But before you uh, go today, Mike, I did want to mention today, very special day, August 22nd, the birthday of Captain Carl Yastrzemski. I knew that, yes. Uh, Carl Yastrzemski, uh, somebody that, uh, gosh, he retired in 1980. He retired 40 years ago. It's hard to believe. It, it is hard to believe. Hall of Fame uh, six years after that in 1989 went in with uh, Johnny Bench the same year. Uh, very ironic, too, because I think they played in the, the greatest World Series ever played in 1975. Yep. And uh, unfortunately, the Cincinnati Reds won that one. But I think there are still a lot of people out there, uh, my casual baseball fans, who think the Red Sox won that World Series because all, all you ever see is the Carlton Fisk home run from that series. Yeah, they the lead in Game <laughs> 7 and then... Uh... You know, they, Zimmer took out Willoughby or put in uh, <laughs> Willoughby. Whatever he did in, at the end of the game, uh, Game 7. Yes, what a great World Series. It was. And uh, Johnny Bench and Yaz went into the Hall of Fame together in 1989 on a very hot day in uh, Cooperstown, New York. I can I can attest to that. But happy birthday to Captain Carl. Certainly uh, one of the most responsible for turning what was a, a dreadful franchise around at that time in 1967, where the Red Sox had 8,000 people for opening day in 1967. It right. was before that, Red Sox Nation, and 1967 is what birthed Red Sox Nation. That, that is absolutely right. Mike, always great to have you with us. Thanks for your insight. I uh, want you to you know come back uh, time and time again because I always uh, love having you on the show. Thank you, Ken. All right, we will take a break. Kale and Company will continue right after these words right here on WKXL NHTalkRadio.com presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL NHTalkRadio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. And we want to welcome in this morning a uh, writer, director, and a producer of documentaries. And he has a new book out by the name of What's Gotten Into You? The Story of Your Body's Atoms from the Big Bang through Last Night's Dinner. He is author Dan Levitt. Dan, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'll tell you, we're excited to have you. And I just want to read one paragraph to our audience before we begin. And I actually did read it in the first part of our show today, but I'll read it again for those who missed it. Every one of us contains a billion times more atoms than all of the grains of sand in the Earth's deserts. If you weigh 150 pounds, you've got enough carbon to make 25 pounds of charcoal, enough salt to fill a salt shaker, enough chlorine to disinfect several backyard swimming pools, and enough iron to forge 
a three-inch nail. Pretty amazing, Dan. Pretty amazing. The question is to you, how did all these elements combine to make us human? <laughs> not, not, not very easily. <laughs> there were a lot of catastrophic events <laughs> and a lot of um, a lot of luck along the way too. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily destined to be, uh, but um, you know that's the story that my book tells because it it you know uh, it traces how uh, these particles that sprang randomly out of the Big Bang ended up creating uh, atoms, which we're made of, and uh, small groups of them reconvened on Earth and, you know, and created you and created me. You know, how did that happen? And, um, uh, you know, it, it, of course, it began with the Big Bang, and 10% of the, your mass actually is hydrogen that came directly from the Big Bang 13.8 billion years ago. Wow. Uh, yeah, and then um, hydrogen gases, great clouds, condensed, pulled in by gravity, and cre- and began to form stars. And those created heat when they began fusing to create uh, uh, helium, which is when our, how our sun create, gets heat. And that uh, then, in the large stars, began to create heavier elements. You know, and, and, and we are made of... Um, Ninety-eight percent of us is made of just six elements that are made in massive stars. You know, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, phosphorus, and, and sulfur. And all the way, all of our elements up to iron were made in large stars. But but we're also we're made of twenty-four elements all told, and some of them are heavier than iron. And the only way those could be made was in the most powerful explosions in the universe. And those were supernovas. Those were the explosions, massive explosions of dying stars. And those those essentially created all the other elements in the periodic table, including us. So when Carl Sagan says, uh, we are made of star stuff, uh, that's that's literally what he means. That, yeah. that uh, you know, our elements were made in the stars. And then, of course, there's this, the, the amazing story of, of how those elements ended up creating a solar system at Earth and creating life and then ultimately creating us. It is an, an incredible story. And uh, what, what sparked your interest, Dan, uh, in finding out how we were all constructed? Well, you know, um, it, it really started with a, with a question. Uh, when my teenage daughter was thinking of becoming a vegetarian, I, I started to wonder, well, okay, um, what does she have to eat in, in, uh, nutritionally in order to be healthy? And I really quickly realized that I didn't really know what, my body or her body was made of, much less where that stuff came from. And uh, doing some thinking and some Googling, ultimately I realized that every single particle in our bodies uh, was came out of the Big Bang 13.8 billion years ago. And so I realized that the journey of those particles and atoms from the Big Bang uh, to us through unbelievably massive explosions and catastrophic um, uh, disasters and and miraculous events uh, created us. But the other thing that was equally interesting to me was how how we learned that because you know it turns out that um, uh, we 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 learned that because scientists um, uh, found things that nobody 
had any idea to expect. You know, they were looking for one thing and they found something completely, completely different. And often they overturned uh, conventional wisdom again and again. And and so I realized that those stories of discovery, for me, were equally fascinating. So, mm-hmm. so uh, you know, the story that I tell is equally about um, the priest who proved Einstein wrong and, uh, you know, uh, the woman who overturned our understanding of, of how um, uh, uh, evolution um, uh, made a big jump to more complex cells and, and so on. And so those stories of discovery just hooked me and grabbed me. And ultimately, I decided, wow, what a great, what a fascinating topic for a book. No, no doubt about that. Who was it that, uh, I'm not talking about the TV show, but who, who came up with the, the, the Big Bang Theory? So that's a great story because that is uh, Georges Lemaitre, who was a um, Belgian priest, extremely devout priest in the 1920s, who, as I mentioned, proved Einstein wrong. Um, He, um, with the blessing of his cardinal, went to study relativity not long after Einstein had come up with the theory of relativity. And Lemaitre heard of observations that galaxies that are far away from us, are accelerating away from the Earth faster than those closer to us. And from that, he deduced, because he looked at Einstein's equations carefully, uh, that the universe was expanding. He suggested it to Einstein. Einstein said, no way, you got to be kidding me. There's no way that could happen. But the Lemaitre actually dove deeper into Einstein's equations and reason that if the universe is expanding now, it must have been smaller before and smaller before. And, and, uh, uh, and, and so ultimately, the entire universe must have been contained in a tiny, almost infinitesimal point of time and space. Again, Einstein hated the idea, particularly since, and this is interesting, because uh, Lemaitre was a Catholic priest, and to him it, it, it almost seemed like Lemaitre was trying to, you know, show that Genesis was true, uh, which, of course, was not what Lemaitre wanted to do, but, but Einstein was suspicious of it for that reason. Uh, and it took quite a while for him to look at the evidence really quick, quick uh, carefully, and to ultimately uh, change his mind. But Lemaitre remained a uh, devout priest, as well as a remarkable physicist um, uh, for his entire life. Well, I, I would guess so. And, and as you said, uh, Einstein was uh, very skeptical uh, of that theory because uh, he, he went in a completely different direction, correct? Yeah, correct? yeah that's yeah. right. And, you know, it, it, the Lemaitre would say that science tells us about how the natural world works and religion tells us about salvation. And so there, to, to him, there was no conflict between the two. And that's how he was able to, um, essentially, he was the, um, uh, the, the, the father of, of the Big Bang Theory. Mm. Wow. That, that is uh, really something. Our, our guest is Dan Levitt, and he is a writer, a director, a producer of documentaries. And is this uh, your first book, Dan? It is. For many years, I made documentaries for Discovery Channel and Natural Geographic and, and, and uh, PBS and others. Uh, but this is my first book. Wow, outstanding. And the book is called uh, What's Gotten Into You? The Story of Your Body's Atoms from the Big Bang through Last Night's Dinner. And uh, Dan, can you stay with us for a few more minutes? I'd love to. All right, very good. 
Dan Levitt uh, is our guest, and uh, this is Kale and Company Live right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, 103.9 in the Capital Region, 101.9 in uh, Manchester and beyond, on the AM dial at 1450, and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental, and we will be right back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Our guest is Dan Levitt, writer, director, producer of uh, documentaries, has his first book out called What's, Go- What's Gotten Into You? What's Gotten Into You? The story of your body's atoms from the Big Bang through last night's dinner. And uh, Dan, thanks for staying with us. You have called water a magical substance. Uh, explain. Oh, it is because, first of all, water shouldn't be here because when the Earth formed, it um, the area that the region around the sun where the Earth formed was much too hot for water to be there. So water actually, after the Earth formed, or as the Earth, just as the Earth formed, came in from uh, much of it came in from asteroids and comets further around the solar system. But water is amazing because um, not only does it become, not only is it um, uh, a gas, a liquid, and a solid at uh, the Earth's temperatures, which most elements aren't, aren't, but the bonds between it uh, are very weak bonds called hydrogen bonds. And in fact, they're so weak that they form and reform trillions of times a second. And, that's, uh, and that allows other molecules to race through uh, and essentially meet and greet and form other compounds. So water really is, you know, the, 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 uh, the medium in which um, uh, all the other important reactions in our body take place, as well as... Uh, very important in, for instance, helping our DNA find its shape, helping proteins find its shape. So water is also extremely important in many of the key reactions in our cells. Well, you alluded to it just a moment ago, but uh, what impact did uh, asteroids and, and comets have to do with our creation? Well, one thing is they probably brought much of the water that's on Earth uh, here, and so the water in your veins a lot of that probably came into Earth from further out past Mars and around Jupiter, um, or for even further out on asteroids and and comets. Uh, you know, another uh, wonderful story that I that I discovered when I was researching the book is that when we went to the moon, we had at the time very little idea about Earth's early history, and it was on the moon we found, we discovered that all those craters up there, many people thought that they were could be volcanoes. So the first time we realized those big craters are actually ancient impacts from comets and asteroids. And all of a sudden, when people realized that, a light bulb off because we realized, oh, when the moon was forming and the Earth was forming at the same, around the same time, uh, both the moon and the Earth must have been bombarded by massive comets and asteroids. 
uh, enough so that um, uh, some of them might have actually vaporized the Earth's oceans. So although the Earth formed about 4.5 billion years ago, it wasn't until about 3.8 billion years ago that that deluge of comets and asteroids died down enough that it was that it was much uh, uh, the Earth's habitat was much more uh, uh, conducive uh, to life life forming. And then it's possible that comets and asteroids might have also brought a significant amount of the organic materials that um, ultimately uh, uh, are necessary to make life on Earth. So, yeah, they're they're important in so many ways. Oh, no, no question about that. And uh, Dan, I have to ask you, did all of your uh, inquisitive spirit and your, your curiosity all begin with a, a chemistry kit that your parents gave you when you were seven years old? <laughs> well, not all of it, but certainly <laughs> a, a certain amount, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Now, you've had a, a, a very interesting life. Uh, just tell us a little bit about your experience. You served uh, in the Peace Corps in Kenya. I did, and that was that was an absolutely wonderful experience. I taught, I, I studied psychology and a lot of science in, in college, and then I went right into the Peace Corps, and I, and I lived um, close to Mount Kilimanjaro in a small village, and I, and I taught physics and biology and and chemistry, and it was a uh, it was an amazing experience, and also uh, also amazing to me because um, I was living very close to a game game park, and Mount Kilimanjaro was there in the distance, and there were you know uh, uh, ant hills that were like five feet high, and all kinds of of animals, and it really gave me a sense of how intertwined we are in in, in a much larger web of life. And there's a sense in which that's tied, or, or it perhaps in a way sparked my interest in writing this kind of book. Because, uh, you know, not only did I live in, uh, in in Kenya, but you know, I, I've I've gone to the Grand Canyon and and, and I've been to uh, uh, the Himalayas, and I and I've seen, you know, unbelievable natural sites that that you know have given me a, a sense of of wonder and of being part of something something bigger and and that's the same thing ultimately that that the the tracing the story of our atoms has, has given me is you know understanding uh, you know how our atoms came from the stars through the you know through this unbelievable number of collisions that created our planet and our, and our earth was was gobsmacked by one that 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 completely melted the earth down and and then later on the earth was completely covered by ice and and yet life ultimately formed and and uh and then all these little molecular machines evolved that are part of our body so that you know we have in each cell of our body is filled up with with uh, millions and and uh, you know even quadrillions of different kinds of little molecular machines it's really um, that too gives me the same kind of uh, sense of being part of something larger and, and a sense of gra- gratitude and awe. I think it's all, it's all, um, it, it all comes together. How many cells do we have in our body, Dan? <laughs> we are, uh, you and I, uh, we, we are colonies of 30 trillion cells. <laughs> 
which is which is more cells than there are uh, stars in 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 the Milky Way, and um, uh, and there's no one in charge, right? It's it's a collaborative or or a cooperative that that uh, um, that somehow manages to uh, to create us. So after you uh, spent some time uh, in the Peace Corps in, in Kenya, what uh, where did your travels take you uh, after that? Well, I ended up doing um, science and, and uh, history films um, for uh, uh, PBS and uh, Discovery Channel and um, uh, National Geographic. So they were on all kinds of topics, and they and they were on they were really mystery. They were scientific mysteries, all about how scientists discover things. I did a wonderful film on um, uh, how the great physicists like Newton and Galileo and Stephen Hawking. Um, mm. Uh, made their greatest discoveries, and for that one, I got to interview Stephen Hawking in, in, in Cambridge. I did a wonderful film with the paleontologist Jack Horner on on his theory of dinosaur evolution, um, and um, uh, you know, I did a film for National Geographic Channel on the scientific search for alien life elsewhere in the universe. So it's been um, science and history has has and and how we've come to understand and the amazing stories of of how we've come to uh, know what we know have, have really been a thread that I've just always been interested in. Yeah, so it was the, a series of events that uh, led you to uh, reside in the Boston area. Uh, yeah, that's right. I, I came up here because Boston um, was and is still a, a wonderful, uh, has a wonderful community of documentary filmmakers, and it's a great place to, uh, to be based. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. So what, what are you working on now? Well, I'm um, uh, trying to figure out what I'm going to write my next uh, book about. It's going to be um, some somewhere in uh, in the history science space, and uh, you know. But uh, uh, I, you know, I want it. I'm, I'm looking for a story that's also going to be full of fascinating facts and wonderful personal stories of dramatic discovery, and that's uh, that's that's what I'm looking for at the moment. Well, your current book uh, certainly is, uh, you know, full of uh, just just amazing, just amazing stories, and uh, you know, I'm, some of us uh, had had no idea uh, of uh, you know where we came from. I'm sure that I, I speak for a lot of people when I say that, and uh, this is just uh, fascinating material. And and Dan, I, I want to thank you so much for spending uh, time with us uh, this morning. Thank you. It's really been so much fun. I so appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Thanks to you. Dan Levitt, uh, writer, director, producer of uh, many documentaries over the years, and his first book out there, What's Gotten Into You? The uh, Story of Your Body's Atoms from the Big Bang through Last Night's Dinner. So thanks to uh, Dan Levitt for joining us today here on Kale & Company Live. And hey, I want to remind you, there's a great uh, event Coming up uh, this Sunday, July 2nd at 4 o'clock, Jordan Tyrrell Wysocki and his trio uh, will kick off Music on the Green, an annual concert music series uh, hosted and presented by Canterbury Shaker Village in Canterbury. Uh, if you haven't seen the uh, Jordan Tyrrell Wysocki trio in action, I suggest that you head to uh, Canterbury Shaker Village this Sunday at Four o'clock, and uh, you will be entertained by uh, 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 Jordan Tyrrell Wysocki, 
by uh, Matt Jensen on guitar, Chris Noyes on the upright bass, and it's in a great setting as well. So that is this Sunday, 4 o'clock at uh, Canterbury Shaker Village. Well, I thank you all very much for joining us on this edition of Kale and Company Live on WKXL. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more and find your plan at deltadentalcoversme.com. And if you missed uh, any of the fascinating things that uh, Dan Leveth had to say today, uh, you can uh, hear them again right after 7 o'clock tonight, right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Make it a great Tuesday, everybody.